We're in the midst of our summer sermon series on Proverbs. Um, who haven't been here with us for a few weeks, we're still plugging away at the book of Proverbs. And we've heard a lot about wisdom. We've heard about wisdom uh, as personified as a lady. We've heard wisdom talked about in many different ways. Today I want to focus on wisdom as a hack. We hear over and over again in the scriptures, in Proverbs specifically, that we are told to walk in the way of wisdom. It's a path, it's a road that we are called to travel on. So in this way that God is calling us to wisdom, it's not a matter just of our heads, of conveying information that we can use by just learning it in our brains. God is actually calling us to walk in a path with our whole bodies, our whole selves, in this act of gaining wisdom. Proverbs wants us not just to think good thoughts in our heads. Lady Wisdom instead invites us into a way of gaining wisdom, much more akin to practicing an instrument, or learning to swim, or practicing a craft like sewing or pottery. We are meant to repeat habits of wisdom such that when we find ourselves in need of it, the wise thing to do is automatic. That's the goal of teaching a child to swim, right? Is that when they're plunged into a pool and they need to use that skill, they can just do it without thinking about what am I doing with my hands. It's an automatic thing that they do. In the same way, Proverbs tells us wisdom is something we practice and repeat with our bodies so that the wise thing to do is automatic. We are trying to make wisdom intuitive, a gut-level response to the world around us. Our our well-trained bodies will simply do the wise thing we've been practicing and training to do. Another example is if you've been in a school setting and there's a fire drill, the teacher doesn't just say, if there's a fire, we're going to walk out, we're going to stay in a line, we're going to meet at the track. No, you actually practice doing that, right? I think the hope of that is that when there's a crisis that occurs, when a fire is happening, somehow that path of walking the fire drill out will take over in your mind. When your mind is full of fear and confusion, you are walking the path that you've walked before, automatically and intuitively. Your feet know what to do when your brain doesn't know what to do. This is what Proverbs teaches us about formation and wisdom. It's for our whole bodies, our whole selves. Something Andy Crouch calls in his newest book, Heart, Mind, Soul, Body Complexes, Designed for Love. And so we hear this image of walking in the way of wisdom today. And I want to meditate for just a few moments, a few short moments, <laughs> on what that means to walk in the way of wisdom. So what are some of the characteristics of walking a path that we can recognize in the scriptures today? First observation I would make is that walking is slow. Unlike airplanes that can basically teleport us to a different continent in a matter of hours, Walking, by comparison, is an incredibly time-consuming mode of travel. So if you pull up directions on Google Maps to, say, West Stockbridge, the outer westernmost part of Massachusetts, um, it's about, it'll give you all the different options laid out. It's, if you look at the car option, it's two, two and a half hours, depending on the traffic. If you look at the biking option, apparently it only takes 16 hours to bike. Any of our cyclists will a, a challenge this summer. And the walking is on there as an option. It's about 49 to 50 hours. <laughs> I'm not sure if anybody's actually looked at those options and said, 
I'm going to take the walking. <laughs> walking is slow. It's not the most efficient way to get where you want to go. So what might Proverbs be saying about the way of wisdom when it tells us to walk in the way of wisdom? Learning wisdom is not something to be done efficiently, as fast as possible. We're instead invited to slow down to the pace of walking, to let this work of gaining wisdom take time, to let the words and ideas of God's wisdom marinate and slow cook in our souls, so we become practitioners of patience, we become gurus of grace, marathoners of mercy. Japanese theologian Kasuke Koyama posited that this speed, the speed of walking, was actually the speed of God. In his work, Three Mile an Hour God, he wrote, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is lord over all other speeds, since it is the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice or not, whether we are currently hit by storm or not, at three miles an hour. So we heard in our song today, God was praised as gracious and merciful, long-suffering, and great kindness. This phrase from the psalm used over and over in the psalms echoes Exodus 34, when God walks past Moses hiding in the cleft of the rock, saying, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When we are called to walk in the way of wisdom, we are invited to slow down, to take the time needed to match the rhythm and the speed of the steadfast love. God. Walking also requires our attention. We need to be looking where we're going, aware of the world around us, the signposts that point us along the path, the roots and rocks that might trip us up and cause us to stumble. How many of us have seen someone walking and simultaneously texting on their phone only to run into a light bulb or a trash bag? How many of us have been that person? Jen and I actually saw someone we were driving a week or two ago, trying to navigate a stroller and a phone, and paying very little attention. We were very concerned in that situation. We need to pay attention as we walk. We need to be aware of the dangers around us. Proverbs makes this very plain in its language of the way of life and the way of death. We're not on a merry jump through the meadows here. That's not the way the path of wisdom is described for us. It sounds much more like a mountain trail with twists and turns, with a very real risk of danger or death. Today in Proverbs 4, we heard these warnings. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it, and pass on. And again, do not swerve to the right or to the left, turn your foot away from evil. The path of wisdom is truly a life and death situation. The Apostle Paul was a well-versed scholar of the Old Testament. So he had these words from Proverbs running through his brain as he wrote his epistles. So we often hear this walking terminology used. We hear it in Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we heard it today in Romans. He says, walk not according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. And he goes on, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So in order to stay on the path of wisdom, or the path of the Spirit, we need to pay attention. What are we paying attention to? What are the markers and the signs Proverbs gives us? For one, the natural world holds many of these signs and markers. Are you struggling with laziness? Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways and be wise, says Proverbs 6. Pay attention to ants and how God has made them. Jesus, who also was well-versed in the Proverbs, had studied them as a young man, told us this in Matthew 6. Are you worried about anxious, anxious about what you need? Look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. The reason that Paul and Jesus and Proverbs gives us these pointers is because God has embedded the wisdom we are seeking into the very fabric of creation. We are to look and listen and consider what the animals and plants teach us about God and how we should go about our lives and work in the world. Here's just one example of how you might consider the lilies of the field. Robin Wall Kimmerer is a trained botanist and member of the indigenous tribe of the Potawatomi people. She described her journey as a scientist beginning with the question, why are goldenrod and asters, bright yellow and purple flowers, so beautiful together? And many of her uh, mentors and people that were shepherding her along this path said, that's not a question for science. That's just how you feel about flowers. <laughs> She had observed them in growing in a relationship. She had paid attention to them, and she thought, why are they beautiful? After many years of training and observation and study, she realized that these complementary colors, which we perceive as beautiful, are also perceived as attractive by the flower's main target, the pollinating bees. It took attention with her whole self, her traditional understanding from the world, from her tribe, her own sense of beauty and delight, and her data-collecting, pattern-observing skills as a scientist to fully understand what God created, and God created bees and asters and goldenrod. We are not all trained scientists. Some of us are astronomers or neurologists. But we all have the capacity to see the world around us, to ask good questions, and to pay attention to how God has created this world and our bodies with exquisite design and purpose. We have the ability to see the world around us not as some dead material to be used and abused, but as a co-proclaimer of the good news of God's wisdom. Our psalm today puts it this way, As for me, I will be talking of the glorious splendor of your majesty and of all your wondrous works. They shall speak of the might of your marvelous acts, and I also will tell of your greatness. Creation and humanity proclaiming together the glory of God. This is one way we can pay attention as we walk we can also pay attention to the ones who have walked the way before us. The first three words in our Proverbs passage today are, Hear, my child. We are to envision this wisdom as coming from one generation to us, having been given to that generation from the generation before. And we are tasked with not only practicing wisdom, but preserving it for the future generations to come. The movement in culture now that prizes novelty and innovation and progress but the wisdom of Proverbs is a tradition, handed down over time, 
repetitive in the best way possible. The wisdom of God does not ask us to try something new, but to find ways to faithfully practice what our forerunners handed down to us in the current context of our lives. How does this beautiful story, God who loved creation into existence, Jesus, who took on our flesh to live and die as one of us, who was raised to reconcile us to the Father, the Spirit who is making all things right and good and returning us to the design that God and wisdom had given us. How does this gospel reality that has always been true find voice and resonance in the language of our current age, in this particular place? That is the wisdom needed for Church of the Cross in Boston in 2023. Paying attention to the tradition of the saints who have gone before us and to those saints still speaking throughout the world, and sharing the good news of Jesus in ways that show its desirability, its attractiveness, as they preached about last week. Walking slowly, walking attentively to our world, walking attentively to those who have walked before us, this kind of walking requires gritty faithfulness. Proverbs today exhorts us to keep hold of instruction, to keep straight the path. Walking in wisdom requires a commitment to keep going on the way, step by step, day by day. We can't opt out and hitch a ride on the fast bus to wisdom. We can't quit the work of being aware of signposts on the way. We must continue to faithfully walk, keep on going, through all seasons and circumstances. In June, our family went on vacation and we were in Washington, D.C. And we had set aside a morning to look at the monuments, as one does. I had been to D.C. several times as a child, so I knew it was coming. It was hot. We've been walking. Some almost going to break. And it happened somewhere between the Korean War Memorial and the Martin Luther King Jr. Monument. Our now five-year-old Timothy just collapsed on a path and said, we've been walking for 100 years. <laughs> he was done. No more walking. Luckily, I saw there were strategically placed water fountains on the way back to our car because we had to get to our car. We couldn't just leave one of our children behind to see. So I said, I made it a game, let's get to the next water fountain. We can take a drink, we can splash water in our faces. Look, there's the next one. Let's keep walking. And we made it back to our car, we made it out of DC alive, and now my children have that wonderful memory of being hot and tired in DC. <laughs> but walking sometimes feels impossible to us. It sometimes feels like we can't go any farther. We all feel that desire to stop and to quit walking. So as we close, I want us just to remember and keep our focus on the direction of our journey and the destination of this path. Because unless you're on a treadmill in a gym, walking takes you somewhere. There's a direction, there's a purpose, there's an end goal to our walk. We are not growing in wisdom simply to one day say, I'm getting super wise, this is fun. In Proverbs 4, we are told that the path of righteousness, righteous, the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. We walk towards the light, we walk towards life and peace, and ultimately towards the source of wisdom, Jesus, who is the way, who is the companion along the way, who is the ultimate destination of our path. We heard our Lord in the Gospel today beckon us, come unto me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. 
Jesus is where we are going. Jesus is why we are walking. Jesus is who we are walking with. Jesus is who we are walking towards. Proverbs 4 tells us today, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. But it leaves the focus of that gaze uncertain. In Hebrews 12, we hear it this way. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking forward to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to focus on the unrivaled beauty and majesty of Jesus, our brother, who has walked this way of wisdom, walked this way of human existence already, who has gone before us and conquered death and hell and reigns as king, that's where we are to set our sights. That is who we are walking towards. And this is the shape of our Sunday worship every week. One theologian describes worship as our joyful summons home to God. We walk the way of wisdom as we read scripture, as we confess our sins, as we pray together, as we share the sign of peace, but it all brings us somewhere. It's directional. We are pointing towards communion, towards the table, which is the sign and pledge we are giving in this life that Jesus is here with us by his body and blood. This is the water fountain along the way when we can't walk anymore. So we walk forward to encounter Jesus at the table. I used to belong to a tradition that would pass plates of communion, crumbs in little cups, to us while we were seated. So communion actually came to me. <laughs> but I think the way we do communion here is very symbolic of this walk and this journey that we're on in wisdom. We walk together ahead to see and taste the goodness of the Lord, to encounter the living Son of God in our Eucharistic celebration. This is the finish line of our pursuit of wisdom. That when we are done walking, we will find ourselves at home, enfolded in the arms of the Father, in fellowship with the Son and the Spirit. So sisters and brothers, may we keep walking this path of wisdom together, the path to the table, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the giver of rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Maybe so. Amen.